0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of 2 Peter. As we work our way through this book, we started out by noting in chapter 1, Peter developing the thought that we as believers in Jesus Christ are to move towards spiritual maturity, that we are to be growing in the the ability of our lives to reflect Jesus Christ through us. Next week in chapter 3, we will begin looking at end times. But between chapter 1 and chapter 3, we find in chapter 2, Peter saying that there is a major hindrance to us growing to spiritual maturity, and that hindrance is the presence of false teachers. Last week in chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, we saw the character, the corrupt character of false teachers. And today in verses 17 through 22, we will note the impact that false teachers have on people and the subsequent judgment that awaits false teachers. In fact, Peter is going to tell us that a false teacher will face a more strict judgment than those who never knew the name of Jesus at all and we're going to see that false teachers prey on those who aren't grounded I'm going to read these verses chapter 2 verses 17 through 22 you can follow along in your copy of the bible These are springs without water and mist driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Promise to them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved." For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them, according to the true proverb... A dog returns to its own vomit, and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. It's going to pray, Father, just ask that you take these words and impress them on our hearts, encourage us in them of our need to press forward toward spiritual maturity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. False teachers prey on those who are new to following after Jesus. Those who have an interest in spiritual things. Those who are seekers. And false teachers swoop in and try to pull them away from the person of Jesus Christ. They seek out those who are not grounded. Last month I was in Dallas, Texas, back in our old stomping grounds where Barbara and I lived for five years. And, uh, spent most of my time down right where we used to live. And it, when we lived there, was a very rough part of the city. Gangs, different areas of public housing that were overrun with poverty and crime had a guy shot right in the grounds of our apartment complex and killed. It was a rough part of town. Now it's gorgeous because everybody's gotten tired of driving all the time, and so it's been totally overcome with high-end housing. But when we lived there, it was rough. Only a block from our house was a grocery store. I don't know why it was, but in that era, it was kind of cool to have weird names for grocery stores. I lived in Council Bluffs, Iowa growing up. We had a grocery store called Hinky Dinky. Now that's a silly name. Well, in Dallas, they had a chain called Tom Thumb. And there was a Tom Thumb just a block from us. And we used to shop there. It was a rough store. One day we came out from shopping, and the police had a guy spread-eagle handcuffed over the hood of our car. And I said... We kind of wanted to go and the police officer said no problem, grabbed the guy, took him, flung him onto the hood of the car next door. We drove off. My favorite was we were at the Tom Thumb and they had this circular section with hot lamps with rotisserie chickens in a circle. And there was a guy that I watched him. He took the saran wrap over the chicken opened it, took a bite out of it, put the saran wrap, put it back down, went to the next one, opened it up, took a bite of it, put the saran wrap, put it down, and he was working his way around the circle. I think he wanted to find which one was the best. It was the ultimate in sampling. Well, one of the things that we noticed was that there were other Tom Thumbs not very far away. In fact, one of the most exclusive areas of Dallas is an area called Highland Park. And we noticed that the Tom Thumb up by Highland Park had prices that were significantly less expensive. So here you have a grocery store where the richest of the rich in Dallas, Texas live that had prices cheaper, way cheaper, than where the poorest of the poor lived. Now... When questioned, their response was similar to what we hear today. Well, we have to recoup our losses from people like eating our chicken. (laughs) But I always question, was it that? Or was it they knew that they could take advantage of those who were ungrounded? We take for granted sometimes being able to grow up in a family where our parents did things like show us how to comparison shop, taught us how to look on the shelf and say, well, this is a better deal, or maybe we should go to this store because their prices are cheaper than this one. And, and and we take for granted things like, you know, it might be better for me and I might be able to save money if I actually buy potatoes and peel them and cook them versus going to the McDonald's across the street and buying French fries. This Very common stuff, but there are many people who have not had the privilege of just being trained in very practical things. Ungrounded. And there's always someone there to take advantage of the ungrounded. Not only in practical things like everyday life, But in spiritual things. And here Peter is saying there are those out there who are just desiring to pounce on those who are not grounded in the faith to pull them away from the person of Jesus Christ for their own benefit. Last week Peter shared with us in verses 10 through 16 their character. Now today, in verses 17 through 19, we're going to see their impact. Bottom line, Peter says these false teachers, they they make empty offers. They try to entice people with arrogant words, with sensuality, and with promises of moral freedom. Let's look at the text together, starting to look in verse 17. He begins by saying... These guys are empty. He calls them, in verse 17, springs without water. Now to grasp that fully, we have to try to put ourselves back in the day. Living in the ancient Near East, where there's no such thing as bottled water. There's no such thing as a spigot in your house where you can put a glass of water underneath and get it. There's no such thing as a wall drugstore that has signs for hundreds of miles that says, don't miss wall drug, we have ice water free. Nothing like that. And it's arid, it's dry, it's desert-like. And just think about saying, okay, we're going to go see Grandpa and Grandma. And on the way, there's a spring, we'll stop and we'll get something to drink. And you get there, dried up. And Peter says, these false teachers are like that. There's an expectation with nothing there. They're like going through a drought. And we see these these huge rain clouds and we get excited. It's going to finally rain. We're going to experience refreshment. Our crops will be saved. And instead, as Peter says, they're mists driven by a storm. There may be just a feeling of heaviness in the air. Maybe our skin gets a speck moist. That's it. They're empty. In fact, Peter goes on to say that black darkness has been reserved for them. Now, this is a reference to the false teacher being reserved, as Peter says, up in verses 9 and 10, for the day of judgment. It's a reference to their eternal judgment to hell. Remember that the little book of Jude is parallel to 2 Peter. Jude uses this same reference. In Jude, right before the book of Revelation, Jude verse 13, he calls these false teachers, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. They have one end waiting for them. That's eternal judgment. And this is what they do to people. Verse 18. And the main part of the sentence would read this. They entice those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. They're trying to entice people toward them in away from Jesus. In fact, it identifies these people as those who live in error. Now, that's a specific phrase that is used other places in the New Testament. It's a reference to the fact that they have been pagans, and now they have at least initially started turning toward Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul uses that same little phrase, in error, in Romans chapter 1, verse 27. And in Romans 1, 27, Paul writes this, The same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And so here we have these 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 people who have been in a pagan culture, living a pagan lifestyle, And they've heard about Jesus. They're interested in Jesus. They've turned and they're starting to walk toward Jesus. But they still live in that pagan culture. And they are easy prey for the false teacher. They're not grounded in the faith. And so the false teacher wants to swoop in and pull them back away from Jesus, back into the moral culture in which they live. Well, how do they do that? Peter tells us they use arrogant words, verse 18, simply saying, the Bible really doesn't mean that. You don't have to do that. Here's what you have to do. It says they entice people with fleshly desires by sensuality. If you feel like doing something, do it go ahead, life's too short. Just satisfy whatever desires you have. In fact, in chapter 3, we're going to see, they're, they're saying, Jesus isn't coming back. Just do it. And finally, it says, they promised them freedom. In, this, in these verses, most likely, freedom from any kind of moral boundary. There's, they, they, they would argue that, hey, the, the Lord wouldn't want us to not enjoy our lives. There's freedom to to do what we want to do. But it goes on to say, while they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by what a man is overcome by this, he is enslaved. In fact, he goes on to use this promise of freedom and later will say that they have never escaped the corruption. They are trying to pull people into the pit with them. A few months ago, Barbara and I went for a walk. We kind of live on the edge of the town in the in Lynn County, and most of around us is countryside. Although it's becoming quickly built up, and just to the road south of us, very nice road, beautiful homes. There's some people that bought the house right on the corner, and the wife was out front, and the husband was out back, and we just started visiting with these new neighbors. And as we sat in their driveway talking with the wife, I just, without thinking, inadvertently kind of laid my hand on their car. And the wife just turned pale, an ashen, pale look of fear. And she said, oh no, do not touch my husband's car. And and I took my hand away, and she immediately almost ran to the garage and got a rag and came out. And she says, we'll just keep this between us. And she started wiping it off. And she was visibly shaken. I mean, how did she know that a random preacher was going to walk by and touch their car? She was just, just scared. Scared. Well, I learned the lesson, don't touch the neighbor's car. But I thought to myself, you people are imprisoned to your stuff. You know, it's like, oh, look at this gorgeous car we have. Now we have to live in fear that a random preacher will come by and touch it. And here Peter says, these false teachers are... Are proclaiming all this freedom to do whatever they want and in reality they're imprisoned themselves and they're trying to imprison everyone around them. Now what does this look like today? What does it look like to have people using arrogant words, actually encouraging sensuality, Promising moral freedom. Well, one of the ways we see it today is when people call what the Bible clearly labels as sin, and they call it good. Just in the last two weeks, there has been a prominent woman amongst Christian circles who writes and has a blog. And her husband, who is a pastor, come out publicly and say, well, we've studied the Greek and the Hebrew. And we've come to the conclusion that the homosexual lifestyle and the lesbian lifestyle is good. It's okay if it's within the bonds of marriage. What the Bible's talking about is just outside of marriage. That's all that it's talking about. You see, they're calling good what the Bible clearly calls sin. We find it today. It's right in our midst. Well, the Bible may say this, but no, that's not really what it means. Or maybe just an argument of logic. You know, God most of all wants you to be happy. And, and if your marriage, if you're not happy in your marriage, remember God wants you to be happy. And if you're not happy in your marriage, then it must be okay just to get out of it because you're not happy. And ultimately, the most important thing to God is your happiness. And by telling people what they think people want to hear, by saying what God calls sin is good, false teachers are not only leading people into the own, into imprisonment into bondage apart from Jesus Christ but they are in bondage themselves remember peter is all about encouraging us to press forward in our faith Chapter 1, verse 3, we've been equipped with everything we need to live for Jesus Christ. We've been equipped. We've got the Spirit of God in us. Those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we have the indwelling Spirit of God within us who enables us to live for Jesus Christ. Let's press forward in maturity. Let's press forward into likeness. But don't forget, these false teachers are lurking And they're trying to pounce on those who maybe haven't been grounded in the word. Trying to pull them away from Jesus Christ. Peter goes on to say, don't forget, they have one end. They are going to face judgment. In fact, Peter is going to say that these false teachers who have had knowledge of Jesus Christ but reject him face a worse judgment than those who have no knowledge of Jesus Christ at all. It it seems like the New Testament is teaching that there's levels of severity of eternal judgment. And these false teachers, who actually know truth, who understand what the message of truth is, and reject it, and then try to pull other people away from it, are going to face a more strict judgment look at verse 20 for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the lord and savior jesus christ they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first for it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them now, when we first read those verses, looking at phrases like "they've escaped the violence of the world" or "that they've known the way of righteousness," you know it would be easy to say, "Well, are these people Christians?" Well, we know they're not. Peter has already told us up in verse nine that they are unrighteous. At verse nine, said, "Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment." These are ones who know the right things to say. They understand the talk. They even most likely have been part of the church and look like they are living for Jesus. But in reality, they stand in rejection of Him. They are infiltrators. And it's important for us to remember that once a person truly places his or her faith in the person of Jesus Christ... The Spirit of God comes into their life and seals them as a guarantee of our future inheritance. We do not lose our salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 drive that point home when the Apostle Paul says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed... In him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. The Spirit of God is our pledge of our inheritance. So here, Peter is talking about false teachers who say some of the right things, who look like they're followers of Jesus, but in reality are infiltrators who have never known him. And Peter says they are going to face a more strict judgment than those who never heard the name of Jesus. It's grievous to me to follow the lives of some of the men with whom I studied at Dallas Theological Seminary and hear reports today of them totally walking away from the person of Jesus Christ. One pastoring in a a very prominent, well-known church totally walked away from the Lord. Another one tells me, I just don't believe that anymore. Now, it isn't up to us to know their heart. In fact, Peter here is talking about those who are truly unregenerate. They're not born again. They are false teachers. Sometimes we don't know. And and Paul tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 that we are to be praying for all men because we serve a God who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. We need to continue to pray for people that we know stand in rejection of the person of Jesus Christ and pray for them and pray for them and pray for them. But Peter here is saying if one has truly rejected Jesus Christ after having known the truth, understood the truth, and said, no, that's not for me. And not only reject Jesus Christ, but actually try to pull people, other people who are ungrounded in the faith, pull them away from Jesus Christ. Here, it says the last state has become worse for them than the first it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment. I think what, what Peter's referring to there is the Holy commandment is just the, the body of Christian truth. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 6 verse 17 and second Timothy chapter 1 verse 14. In Romans 6.17, he talks about these truths of Jesus and forgiveness in him and and how he equips us to live for him. And in Romans 6.17, it says, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. This body of truth, these false teachers have rejected it. They look the part. They can talk the talk. But in reality, they come right back to where they started. And Peter quotes two common proverbs of the day about two animals that in Jewish circles would be considered untouchable, a dog and a hog. He says, they're just like a dog, it returns to its own vomit. Now, for those of us who are dog people... We understand this. Dogs are gross. Once in a while I'll be out hunting with some guy that'll actually sit there and let and kiss his dog on the lips. And it's like, dude, do you never watch your dog? Do you never see them go eat manure? It's it's a dog. It returns to its own vomit. Or a hog. Hey, this is written for Iowa. Most of us know what hogs do. You can take any hog at my grandpa's farm and give it a nice shower and get him all cleaned up and put some ribbons in its hair, and what's it going to do? The first chance it gets, it's going to go out and roll around in its own manure. And Peter says, these false teachers are like a dog and a hog. They just, they just go right back to their own vomit. They're just going to roll in their own manure. They can make themselves look pretty, but there's no change on the inside. And they're trying to pull people with them. Away from the person of Jesus Christ. That's what they do. Now it's important for us to remember what Peter is trying to get across to us. He's trying to challenge us, his readers, those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, that we have a call. We have a call to mature. We have a call to holiness. We have a call to walk in such a way, live our life in such a way that Jesus Christ can be seen in us. We have a call to maturity, to press on. Once we know truth and have truth change us, and once we put our trust in the person of Jesus Christ, it, the Christian life doesn't stop there. We're to mature we're to grow. We're to be more like Jesus Christ. We're supposed to take steps toward maturity. That's why we dig into our Bible and listen to the Lord speak to us. That's why we talk with Him as we read the Scripture. We respond back to Him and declare His Worth and declare our, our own sin and we declare that we need Him and we grow. That's why we walk with brothers and sisters in Christ and study the Word together and pray for one another and practice, practice the biblical one another. As Peter says we've got to press forward into spiritual maturity, but don't forget there's some who may want to look like a Christian. They may want to talk like a Christian. But in reality, they're trying to pull people away from Jesus Christ. Just because someone claims to be a Christian does not mean that they deserve an audience. It does not mean that if we read some Christian on the internet that we have to listen to what they say because there are many out there who are trying to pull people away from the Scripture. Away from what God says is right and wrong. Away from the person of Jesus Christ who died for us to save us from our sin. So Peter says, be aware of these false teachers. That's why it's so important for us as brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage each other on. To grow more like Jesus. To push on to maturity. Because false teachers lead people into emptiness. And they're going to face a worse judgment than those who have no knowledge. There's a couple of passages that that talk about this degree of punishment. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 11, verses 20 through 24. And I'll just read that quickly. Matthew 11 starting the reading, in verse 20, he's talking about unrepentant cities that he has, has been there and given them a testimony of himself. Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, and Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles occurred in Tyre and Sidon which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For the miracles which occurred in Sodom... which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. The author of Hebrews talks about these degrees of condemnation in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. And it says, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Now that the author of Hebrews is not saying that a Christian never sins. That's not what he's saying. John tells us in 1 John 1 that if we say that we have no sin, we're a liar. And he goes on to tell us when we do sin, we need to confess it, 1 John one nine. What the author of Hebrews is saying is that if we know the truth of Jesus Christ and stand in rejection of it and continue to walk away from the Lord in our own sin, This is what it says. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment... Do you think he will deserve who's trampled underfoot the Son of God and is regarded as unclean, the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's a sober reality. And for these false teachers, they face a sober reality. What if I know someone who stands in rejection of the gospel, even though they've heard the gospel? We don't just write them off. We continue to pray. First Timothy 2. We pray for all men. Because why? Because we have a God who desires all men to be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. We continue to ask the Lord to do a work in their heart to help them see their need for a Savior and turn to Jesus. But we are also very much aware... That there are those who like to look like Christians and sound like Christians whose number one goal is to actually pull people away from Jesus. And these unregenerate people who like to look like a Christian but have stained in rejection of Jesus Christ face the fury, the wrath of a holy God because they lead people into emptiness. And their judgment is far worse than those who have no knowledge of Jesus Christ. You may be here today and you don't know if you're right with God or not. I would encourage you not to leave this morning without taking steps to find out how you can be right with God. One of our leaders here at Faith Bible Church, one of our elders, will be back in our prayer room immediately behind you. And you can just go in there and say, hey, can I have some of that material Pastor Steve was talking about, how people can know they're right with God. And they'll just give you the material. And and uh, you can take your own Bible and look up verses to help you see how you can know for sure that Jesus' payment for sin is credited to your life. Or you may be here today and you're burdened. You've gone through some very difficult days. Take some time and just go back and pray this morning before you leave. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that it gives us. That we've been equipped, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we're equipped to live for him. Help us by your spirit. Remind us by your spirit that we need you every day. That we've got to express our dependence on you in prayer. That that you want to do this work in our lives of helping us be more like Jesus. Give us that heart's desire to take the steps we need to take towards spiritual maturity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.